Jerome Powell, Fed chairman, was called off guard at a, a speech he was given regarding GDP where a climate control activist interrupted him in the middle of this, basically telling him that he doesn't care about climate control and what is he doing to per, you know prevent what's going on uh, in, in the climate market. And it was interesting to see his response to this. Uh, you could tell that he was very much caught off guard as she was escorted out of the room and then he had some choice words on the way out. Uh, this clip was sent to us by Thomas Rettenberg, who was on our show. It's a funny clip and it just kind of speaks to the, uh, the moment. I hope you guys enjoy this. GDP growth in the third quarter was quite strong, but like most forecasters, we expect growth growth to moderate in coming quarters. Of course. Help, by refusing to treat climate yeah, change like a systemic okay. risk, thank like you. We are putting us. At thank you very much. Disaster. Thank you very much. Thank you. Just close the fucking door. Close the door. I mean, did he really just say that? I realize we all get frustrated, but wow. Welcome back to the What's Your One More podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Harris. Thanks for joining us for episode 110. You know, before we get started, I'm asking a huge favor. If you're listening to this, just go to the five-star review section on Apple. Give us a five-star review. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear what you have to say. We're trying to gain some rankings here on the Apple podcast rankings. That'd be a huge help to us. So enough with the shameless plug onto the show. So recently, as of Friday, we had the New York Fed come out with their economic data. And why is that important? Well, we've been talking about some of these things that are happening in the markets. And here's some more indicators of what we've been saying is kind of holding true and correct. They released their consumer spending report. And inside that report, um, they're showing an uptick in consumer spending for a grand total of $17.29 trillion in debt led by mortgages, credit card, and student loan balances. Uh, student loan balances are up to $1.6 trillion in that equation there. And I think that's relevant and important because October is the month we're starting to see the first set of payments come out. Even though not all payments are being made in the month of October, we're starting to see some of them come through the servicer and that is rather important um, as we talk about debt looming in the background as well as potential price pressure that are put on the households. But what's interesting this is the credit card report. Now, I know I sound like a broken record here, but this because this is something that's not getting a lot of attention until recently, and it's kind of been brewing in the background. You know, and if you take a look at COVID, when we went through the first CARES Act and, and the money that was sent home to people, we saw the debt drop tremendously in credit cards well, because no one had money, excuse me, no one had places to go spend that money. Um, you know, there was places were shut down, vacations were turned off, and people were paying down their credit card debt while also increasing their savings rate. Well, post, you know, the second CARES Act and the third one that went through there, you know, now we're starting to see credit card spending accelerate because people are keeping up with the lifestyle that they had created during that time and debt is going through the roof. Combine that with inflation, of course, as we've talked about, because the prices at the grocery store are not getting any cheaper either. So the cost of living between rent and housing are going up as well. Also seeing inside of that, that the average credit card balance per household has gone from $4,000 to $8,000. And we also saw where the average car payment is now over $1,000 for the average car payment. And that's mainly tied to the interest rate and the average car pay, excuse me, purchase price is $48,000. A lot of things are rising there. A lot of it's being tied to what the Federal Reserve has been doing, which is hiking interest rates. Even though they've paused over the last couple of meetings, let's face it, those interest rate hikes that happened so quickly, historically so fast, fast has applied an immense amount of pressure. And even though the pause has happened over the last two meetings, what we're seeing is what we call the lag effect come in. And that's the policy lagging. It's taking time for those rate hikes to make their way through the system. And lo and behold, we're seeing them show up in many different, you know, many different, uh, areas. For example, credit card interest rates are anywhere between 20 and 25%, depending on what state you live in. 
You're starting to see auto loans are extremely higher than what they've been anywhere from eight to 10%. Home equity lines are at 9%. Um, you know, maybe you're getting an auto loan a little cheaper than eight, but I mean, for, for the, for this indication in this report here, um, that is what it's showing. And so I, I, it's starting to see just tremendous, tremendous pressure put on households because of that interest rate hike that's happening. Now, the other thing that's interesting here is that the delinquencies are up and that's what I want to point out in this report. And the reason I want to do that is because if you're an originator and you're listening to this podcast, if you're a real estate agent and you're listening to this podcast, we owe it to our database to have these conversations that I'm getting ready to share with you. Because if we're not talking to our customers, if we're not helping being uh, you know, debt advisors, I mean, that's literally what I'm about to talk about here. You know, if you're a consumer and you're saying, hey, listen, I have credit card debt and um, right now it's getting uncomfortable. The average person that's a homeowner has over $180,000 in equity in their home right now. That's a stat straight from Black Knight. $189,000 is the average equity. Now, obviously, there are people more than that, people less than that, but that's the average as of 2023. That's incredible because what you can do with that is you can take that and you can actually pay off those credit cards. More importantly, you can turn around and make yourself 25% interest just by paying that credit card off as opposed to continuing to pay the minimum payment. You know, and, and those things are so hard to get out of unless you strike a check and just pay them off. Well, we also know that a lot of these balances are not being paid off. I mean, the report tells us that they're not being paid off, but also what the report tells us is that the 90-day delinquencies are up. That means these balances aren't being paid at all. Now, if you go back three months ago, I did a podcast on when the actual delinquency rate was below 8%. And I started talking about the challenges that are going to be faced in that because there's no recourse on these credit cards. Yeah, you can damage the credit score, but from a, from a, you know, come back and get what you purchased with that, you know, you're not going, you're not going to repo people's goods. You know, you're not going to go get those as, as a, as a credit card company. You're not going to repossess the clothes, the ball, the food that they purchased. It's not going to happen. So the recourse impacts the credit. And as we see these delinquency rates go up, they're also going up in one specific age group. So I want to talk about the delinquency rates for 90 days first. So the reason these are considered delinquents is they have been paid in 90 days. These credit card payments have been paid in 90 days. It's almost at 10% right now. Now, three months ago, it was a little below eight. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a huge jump, but that's a pretty dramatic jump in 90 days. The next closest thing to that are automobile loans, and they're at about 4%, a little above 4%. Mortgages and student loan debts are nil. So mortgages and student loan debts are, are as close to zero as they could get. Now that's expected with student loan debt because it's been deferred for so long. But from a mortgage standpoint, it's actually lower than than what people have been forecasting or anticipating because these foreclosure waves aren't happening. We've talked about that. We've talked about why the delinquencies aren't going to take place because of the equity position I just mentioned. And second of all, unlike 2008, 2006, there's nowhere for people to go. I mean, if they let their house go, the market is so constricted with a limited amount of inventory, there's nowhere for a person to go. So that, that's why we think mortgages are are much lower than anticipated during this time and student loan debt's been deferred. We really won't see what happens there for a course of another 90 to 120 days, but credit card debt being where it is. And then when I take a look at the age groups, I'm gonna pull this up on my computer here, it's the millennials that are leading the pack on that delinquency. And, you know, it's it, 40 years or less is leading the pack and it's not even close to the delinquency rate there. 
And so to me, that kind of poses a notion because you wonder if, if you wonder what's going on there, maybe where the disconnect is, or if you wonder if this is the first financial challenge, the first financial storm that that age group has seen and been a part of while being in the workforce. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out here. And you can, again, and it continues, it's a rise, it's a deep rise. If that continues that trend and, and the direction in which it's going, I also believe there's some tie to people going to work or people not working or people working, you know, two jobs and, and struggling to live. That is also something that I wonder is tied to these delinquencies as well, because we know the record uh, second number of jobs for on record right now is the highest it's ever been in the United States history. So there's a lot of things going on in this economy that I continue to talk about that I continue to say that are, are signs, are warnings of things that are going on here. And, and it's not like I'm preaching doom and gloom from the housing market side. I'm saying the financial markets. Oh, and by the way, did I'm not sure if you recognize or saw this because I didn't. Last week, we had another bank go down. We had another bank go down. We had one First Citizens Bank out of Iowa went into receivership for the, uh, with the FDIC. And that happened on a Saturday night. Where's that in the news? You know, we've been talking about the pressure to the banking system. There's another bank that went down and collapsed. It's interesting to me that that hasn't hit the, the news. It hasn't been a, a main topic of conversation. And these are recessionary signs. These are signs that I don't believe are a soft landing. These are signs where I continue to say the Federal Reserve is pushing the envelope till they break something. And I've said it over and over again, I think it will be the financial markets could be the consumer credit market, which is also related to the financial markets. And we're starting to see early signs of that. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. The team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender and you can can find your local branch at boemortgage.com because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. Let's go back to if I'm an LO, if I'm a real estate agent, I owe it to my customer, I owe it to my database to say, hey, how can I help? What are things that we can do to help debt advise particular customers during this situation? And what a great way to be able to show them how to trade in a 25% interest rate back into an interest rate of the current market, even if it is 8%, which I don't believe it is when I'm doing this podcast today here on Veterans Day. But I do believe, and, and by the way, big shout out to all of our veterans, everything you do to protect our country, everything you do, the sacrifices you make, we are extremely grateful over here at What's Your One More. I uh, cannot say enough great things about our veterans and our families and our active military. Thank you guys for everything. So as if, even if you are trading in some sort of, you know, 8% interest rate on a mortgage for a 25% credit card, that's a huge win. One, we know the interest on a mortgage is tax deductible. Two, we know that 25% on that credit card is not tax deductible. So you're automatically having an inherent win just based on the lowering of 25 to 8%. And then you get the tax break as well. These are things that we need to be educating customers on on a daily basis because I don't think there's enough of this out there in the news. You know, our friends over at MBS Highway, they do a wonderful job talking about the debt consolidation. Barry Habib and Dan Habib, both who have been on our show, have done a fantastic job of putting this stuff together. Use those resources out there, especially if you're a part of MBS Highway. That's just a wonderful asset tool to use. So, 
I think there's a lot of naysayers that go, yeah, but you know, why would I, why would I go from a three and a quarter interest rate to an 8% interest rate? That seems so dumb. Well, besides the fact of what I just explained, I kind of want to point something out. We talk about the lock-in effect in here, and we just got some great information from Zonda. And I'm going to put this in our YouTube channel if you want to take a look at it. If you would, just go subscribe at What's Your One More. Check out this graph I have in there. By the way, I also have the delinquency ratings on there from the New York Fed as well. And you'll get to see them by age group as well as where they stand in this form of cars, autos, and mortgages. But this lock-in effect, so we're going to put a heat map of the United States on there. And what I love about this is it actually shows the amount of mortgages that are 4% or lower based on a percentage in every state. So like, for example, in Florida, for example, and I'll go through some other ones here, 55% of all mortgages in Florida are 4% or less. Now that sounds high. When I shared that with one of our, our you know, with one of our uh, colleagues, they were like, man, that's high. I'm like, yeah, but California is almost 70. And they're like, whoa. And, and so w- what I'm suggesting is the Southeast, for whatever reason, is below the likes of the West Coast. And the reason I think that's important is because some portions of America look like they may unlock faster than others. And again, if you're an originator you're, or even a real estate agent, it enlightens me when I see this to go, wow, it, it, the needle doesn't really have to move that much in certain parts of the country for that lock-in effect to take place. And Daniel Halverson looked at this map earlier and said, hey, listen, this could be because we have more second home and investment properties in our state, so therefore the rates naturally were higher anyways. And that's a great point. So I wanted to add that to the conversation, but it still gives us the ability to think that more people are willing to unlock those loans and maybe even do those refinances that I'm speaking of during the customer retention era that we're in right now going into the first quarter here in the fourth quarter. And so, you know, the looming question I get from so many people is, hey, when do you think the rate cuts, like, what's your take? Are rates going to be cut by the Federal Reserve? When are we going to see some sort of dip in interest rates? And I think that lag effect that I'm referring to on the Federal Reserve's policy, that's kicking in and moving rates up a little bit more than they should be. Um, You know, for example, you've had two pauses here and the rate hikes have gone up and those rate hikes have gone, excuse me, the the 10-year treasuries have gone up and mortgages have gone up because you got Powell at the podium saying that, you know, we may not be done with rate hikes. We we may be in a long-term higher rate environment. And so all of that stuff is being, all those commentaries are being built into the current market conditions, even though the Federal Reserve is not doing anything. But the one thing to keep in mind here is that the real rate, you know, and when I say real rate, I'm going to break it down two ways. The real interest rate, you look at the real interest rates on the street. So if you look at the Fed funds rate, you know, where it is, and you look at the mortgage interest rates where, where they are right now, the mortgage interest rates would be the real rate, right? The consumer's real rate. That's much higher than the Fed funds rate right now. And that's relevant because that's one of the areas the Federal Reserve wants to be in. The other place they want to be in is they want the Fed funds rate to be higher than inflation. They're accomplishing that as well. So you really have a positive real rate right now now that we haven't had leading up to the last 18 months. It just hasn't been there. And that's been a battle they've been fighting to get to. And they're currently there. Pending market conditions continue to get better, meaning inflation comes down. It doesn't go back up. I think you're going to see another pause in December. Matter of fact, the odds, and yes, there are odds makers on this, have an interest rate hike at 10%. So 90% of the odds makers think that it's going to be another pause as well. Um, And 20% are already forecasting a cut in March. So that's pretty encouraging moving forward as we think, you know, what the Fed could do in anticipation of that. But I think that the idea of impact of higher rates for longer is what's moving the needle in the market right now. And it's also moving those other rates I described in auto, credit card, so, you know, whatever you may there. So what would cause the Fed to hike these rates again? 
that's, I think that's the bigger question here. Like what would cause them to hike it again? Well, if inflation starts to go up, that's the main thing. So if you look at that CPI index we talk about all the time, which is why we've been following it so you know so closely here on the show, if this PCE and the CPI go up at any rate and don't come down, especially the core readings, right? That's where they remove food and energy. If those go up, you can almost guess that the Federal Reserve is saying, wait a minute, we haven't done enough. We need to do more. I think that's where you're going to see interest rates go up on the Fed funds rate if that happens. If that doesn't happen and those come down, you know, that could be a win. That could be the indicator. Or if the financial markets start to collapse in any way, that could do it. And I think those are the two ifs, then that. So if inflation goes up, you can bet the Federal Reserve is going to increase rates again, not in December, but it might be in, you know, the six, six weeks from the December meeting. Or if also wage pressure continues to happen, meaning that if for whatever reason, wage pressure goes up and that continues to be there and they don't see a softening of the labor market, well, then that also could do it. But that's a distant second to inflation. And inflation is the is the primary reason for that wage pressure as well there. So with that being said, those are the things I think could cause it to go up. What could cause it to come down, again, would be inflation coming down because then they feel like they've hit their mandate and their mandate is 2% target rate inflation. So those are all things that we're going to be watching for here. And 